Take a look behind the curtain with a real whistleblower and American patriot. Prepare to embrace the uncomfortable truth because this program has no time for comforting lies. Here is civil liberties enthusiast, Second Amendment defender, and recovering FBI agent, Kyle Serafin. Well, hello, my friends, and welcome to the Kyle Serafin Show. Today is Monday, November the 27th. It's Cyber Monday. I guess that means that uh, they do the Black Friday thing, but they do it online, even though most of the places that were online were doing it online as well. So Cyber Monday, save yourself some money on some of the deals that are out there in the world. If you want to know just like Kyle's hot takes on things that you can save money on that are worth your time, there's a company called Geisley Automatics. They're not paying us for anything, but I own their products, and I think they're some of the best rifles you can buy for the money. If you're going to go out and buy an AR-15 and you got a couple of bucks and you want to spend it on something that is a high-quality piece of equipment, it is hands down the best rifle system that I own, and it is the most accurate gas-powered, which is to say direct impingement-style uh, semi-automatic rifle. If you want to get it done, check out Geisley. They always have awesome deals when it comes to Black Friday, and uh, this this year's is no exception. They've got some really good deals on what's called the Super Duty. So um, we're talking about some things. Listen, today is going to be a jam-packed show with a lot of information and a lot of ground to cover. We're going to go from January 6th of 2021 up to the present day. We're going to have Sonia Labosco joining us in just a moment. She's going to be coming in and talking about some of the stuff that the federal air marshals uh, have uncovered. She's part of a group called the National, or sorry, the uh, Air Marshals National Council, and they are a, an advocacy group that sort of advocates on behalf of this entity of a small number of federal law enforcement agents that fly around and keep the air safe. At least that's what they're supposed to do. We're going to talk about what they're doing. You guys have probably seen her on all kinds of places lately because she's been out there burning up the channels. And we've got brand new information, which you're going to see in print a little later at UncoversDC.com with my friend Tracy Beans. So you should definitely be checking into that. But uh, we're going to get into the story today. We're going to break it all out for you because many of you don't have time to read the news. I know it. We're going to give it to you guys and we're going to spoon feed it to you nicely in a way that you can take away and you can articulate to your friends and family and refer them to this show and then you will also see it in print so before we do that let's talk about the merch store the oboil family sweatshop you guys family sweatshop you guys whoa look at this okay oh look at this i got an echo right now i got an echo right now ryan ryan (laughs) you're echoing me not sure why yeah i don't know either but folks we got a brand new hoodie system you guys can check out the hoodies this is the light duty hoodie this is very thin it's like a shirt style very comfortable it's got the suspendables on the front got a hood on the back big fan looks nice my wife told me that it looks too young for me that it looks like what young people wear and i'm too old for that style i don't think so i'm young at heart but uh if you go through there's also a heavy hoodie which i've got and is like sherpa style it's got that on the inside of it for those of you living in the cold weather. If you're a big guy like Garrett Boyle, it's not going to bother you when it's really cold outside. If it's in the 20s, there you go. There's the Sherpa style. That's what uh, Ryan Madden needs right now in his sub-freezing studio set. I do. Right? How cold is it in your studio right now? 30? Oh, probably about 40, 45 yeah. at tops. <laughs> Ryan uh, decided, to build, he decided to build a studio in the garage for no reason, folks. No one told him he had to do that, and he lives in Michigan, <laughs> which is a really strange thing to do. But he probably needs one of these hoodies. Check out uh, the-dispendables.com, the-dispendables.com to get to the O'Boyle family sweatshop. I don't know why we started calling it that, but I really like it. And uh, make it so. Check them out. Use promo code Kyle, K-Y-L-E. That'll get you a deal. And I think right now... I think we've got a uh, like a promo code he's running this for Black Friday. I'll have to look at it. Uh, maybe Garrett will jump into the chat here and tell us what the uh, what the promo code is. Before we uh, get too sideways, let's bring on my guest. Let's get right into this chaos. Um, and then, Sonia, welcome to the show, by the way. Of course, we were talking earlier. How you doing, buddy? Thank you. Thanks for having me, Kyle. I'm going to have you reflect on something. You used to be a, a local police officer. How long were you a local cop? 
12 years, Daytona Beach, midnight shift sergeant. Did you see some pretty horrific car accidents in your time? Uh, yes, very, very much so I did. That's like the, that's the witching hour, right? When people are driving drunk and doing wild stuff. Yes. And remember we had special events, race week, bike week. Everybody thinks they're a race car driver after midnight when the race is over. I love it. Um, everybody tries to be a Dale Earnhardt somewhere in Daytona. So yes, I saw a lot of horrific accidents. Okay. I'm going to show you some footage. Um, one of our regular and earliest listeners is a guy named FBI Panny Raid. I know his real name, but I'm not going to dox him that way. Um, FBI Panny Raid is almost always in our chat. And he sent me some footage of the recovery of his vehicle. And we've got a video of that. It made it onto a Facebook highlight reel. It's pretty wild. You're going to be able to just kind of respond to it in real time when, when you see it. But uh, take a look at what happened to this F-350 truck. Ryan, you want to play that, that video clip real quick? Time for some extreme vehicle recovery. First, we had to get the truck in position. After climbing down and getting it all hooked up, it was finally time to pull it up. Yes, that's me. And I just got one thing to say. Uh, this is a little And after a little bit of time, we were making some serious progress. And finally, we had the truck back up on the road. Oh yeah. Did I mention we had to pull the truck bed up too? After that, we picked up the truck bed, ready to place it onto the truck. This is the condition the truck is in, and the last thing we heard is that the driver was okay. Please use this as a reminder to drive safe this winter. How about that? That is um, absolutely horrible. I mean, who? somebody was... Um, had their foot on the pedal, maybe single vehicle accident. Obviously, there was nobody else involved but the one truck. Black ice. They hit black ice at 20 miles an hour, went over a hundred foot embankment, and rolled the truck multiple times. Stopped on a pine tree that was at least two feet in diameter, is what I'm told. Driver was okay, obviously restrained. And uh, FBI Panny Raid, that was his truck. He was the passenger in it, and he was basically just banged up a little bit and sore the next morning. Um, thank God for that. But you saw the flatbed that was on the back of that pickup because it's a flatbed pickup truck that didn't come from somewhere else. That was that they had had the, uh, the, the body removed. It was like a factory flatbed and it got knocked off as it rolled down and separated and went somewhere else completely. Those people are lucky to be alive. Whoever was in that truck That's is he, extremely lucky if they made it out. Yep. It's one of those things I'm really grateful for, folks. It's just a little prayer of Thanksgiving for those of you guys who know uh, FBI Panty Raid is there. He is. He's in the chat right now. I said it happened in the afternoon. They were literally just driving home from sighting in a rifle, doing an American thing, going uh, getting ready for deer hunting, and sure enough, uh, hit a small patch of ice. There's nothing you can do if you don't have the, the the studs and the tires. You can't get any grip. You just you're in God's mercy. And man, uh, when he sent me that picture, and then he sent me some of the aftermath of it, just the banged up. It was minor, absolutely minor injuries, but wild looking to see what happened to that truck because it is devastated. That's a miracle, man. God was with them. They had an angel on their shoulder that day. That's so true. Exactly right. Well, let's talk about some uh, some some ugly stuff. That was just the good news of the uh, of the day. I think that's the that was the thing that kind of kept me going through the weekend. I was I got off social media, got so toxic, and we're we're dealing with this weird media cycle where people are attacking Kyle Rittenhouse, even though he was acquitted. We had Derek Chauvin stabbed in a federal penitentiary. If you guys don't know that story, we'll probably cover it further later. But there, uh, people on the political left are celebrating the fact that a uh, a former police officer who really got railroaded, I think, in uh, in Minneapolis, is in jail, and he, they're happy that he got stabbed. It's just the opposite of what our justice system is about. And then we get to what's going on with these J6ers who have been suffering uh, in and out of the public spectrum for quite a while, right? I mean, that's 
basically been happening and, and they're not the only ones that are suffering in this sort of scenario. Like it's been going on for even the people that are working these cases. Yeah, that, that's true, Kyle. I mean, you know, you, you talked about the Air Marshal National Council and the things that we do. When we, we, we built this association in uh, late 2019, our goal was to try, to try to protect the Air Marshals who were trying to protect the nation. We had no idea that we were going to step into the arena of trying to stop the government from violating the rights of the people, the American public that we were trying to protect. So, you know, we've had to pivot in our uh, council now. And our council, we're trying to protect the American people from government overreach and government intrusion. And we've been witnesses, witnessing this ever since January the 6th took place. Which is why you're one of our suspendables, why you were part of the suspendables clubhouse when we went to Miralago, obviously. I want to kind of get into the sort of the deeper version of this story. So first of all, um, explain what your organization is for those who are not familiar and whether you're not, whether you're affiliated with any government entities. No, we, we, we're not affiliated with any government entities. We're a completely private group. We have no, uh, we're not in Bedwood management, so to speak. We're not union officials. We don't negotiate with the government. Our whole goal is to protect the federal air marshals who are out there protecting our nation. If they get involved in a critical incident or, or uh, you know, any type of use of force incident, we have full civil and criminal protections for them that they can come to the council. That's why they pay a membership due dues to our group is to protect them with with attorneys, workers comp if they get hurt on duty. So that was the basis when we we founded this group. But what it's turned into since January the 6th is the fact that we're trying to get the government to stop their overreach and deploying federal air marshals to to watch people that are not a threat to our country. Um, We got a whistleblower that came forward in mid-July after January the 6th. I think it was around July the 14th or 15th and advised us that TSA had taken a manifest, uh, the FBI had requested a manifest of everyone that flew into the national capital region during that time frame of January the 6th. And TSA provided that manifest to the FBI. But then what TSA did with that manifest is they took it and then they also put it into a national security database at TSA, but they didn't scrub the list. We had air marshals on this list that were, were listed as suspected domestic terrorists. They didn't scrub the list because it was so important at the moment to build these, let's say, false cases for metrics in order for the agency to go back to Congress and say, look, since January the 6th, we've been following all these domestic terrorists. So that generates reports, which generates numbers, which generates more money in their budget. Um, don't care if they violate the rights of the American people. That's obvious because we've done every internal grievance you can imagine. We filed grievances. We've put cease and desist on the agency. We've gone to Congress. We've done everything in our power to stop this. And guess what? They, TSA, does not care. They're going to continue to do it. Yep. All right. So let's dig into the narrative. First of all, this started the day after. I didn't realize how bad it was and how early it was. Um, I was in the Washington, the National Capital Region at the time. Ryan, if you'll pull up our first topic, this is an article from ProPublica. So I'm going to kind of read some of this stuff to you, Sonia, and kind of give us, give our listeners a little bit of a background here. Um, this came from January 7th at midnight. This is the night of or going into the morning after the actual events of January 6th. So you can see it right there. They've got a picture that looks a little bit unruly in the rotunda. And it says, insurrectionists made no effort to hide their intentions, but law enforcement protecting Congress was caught flat-footed. It says that the Capitol rioters planned this for weeks in plain sight. The police weren't ready. And what we're going to do is we're going to set up all the information that was available to the Homeland Security Committee from the House for this letter that we're about to, to reveal basically in the first big way 
for our audience live, and then it's going to go live on uh, Uncovered DC in just a little bit here. So, folks, we are setting up the background of this. Um, do you recall seeing this kind of this coverage that was just sort of this breathless insanity that was going on about insurgencies and insurrections and all the violence? Do you remember seeing this stuff on January 7th? Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, it, it flooded the media. That's only that's the only thing that the media was covering. Mm -hmm. Actually, if you turned on the TV, that's all you saw. If you picked up an article, that's all you read about was the insurrection. Interesting. So it says here uh, that they're quoting people from the Stop the Steal movement, that they came up with the idea to occupy just outside the Capitol on January 6th. I think that's what people thought was going to happen, that you're allowed to actually occupy. That is protected speech to be able to do that sort of thing. And then you know, there's they, they basically quoted all these different little uh, pieces on here. If things escalate, so do we. And they're just kind of quoting a bunch of random strangers, people who said that they brought sleeping bags and tents and they weren't going to wear masks, which obviously we saw a lot of people wearing masks who there's a lot of questions about what that was involved in. But um, it, it's very breathless coverage the day after. And they already started using the word insurgents and insurrectionists. And they were talking about like planned violence, which I always wondered where that came from. You know, I don't know if you had any instinct that these people were were, were um, trying to push a narrative from day one, but it seems like they were. Yeah, I mean, we got wind too, and and it's not in writing, but that the Capitol Police actually reached out to the Federal Air Marshal Service to see if we had some extra ground-based resources, because we do have some resources that were on the ground, mm -hmm. and they're part of our visual intermodal prevention and response team. You know, they full, wear the full battle rattle you know, they have DHS police vests, so they're used to working on the ground. And and the Washington field office said no, that we would not provide any resources to the Capitol on January the 6th, although we had resources that would have been available. But this, this we is, did not uh, deploy. Air Marshal's Washington field office just out by Dulles, is that correct? That's correct. The one that's closest to the Capitol, that's correct. Yeah, I've trained there, by the way. I got to go through a couple you of days. Have. I, oh, interesting. It's a nice office. It's a really nice office. They've got a nice uh, sort of um, command post set up and they have a really nice fuselage for training. And we went and did some um, some recovery because uh, my team used to fly all the time. And so we were always on aircraft. We're always armed. We had the highest potential probably of any of the FBI units to be able to interface regularly with uh, air marshals. So we went and did some kind of um, cross cross training where we worked a little bit on surveillance, which was our bag. And they showed us about how to retake an aircraft, which was their bag, which was kind of fun. Well, it'd be interesting if you tried to visit that office today. Most of the supervisors are still teleworking from COVID. So you probably wouldn't be able to go in there and train because most of them are, you know, they're at home collecting $195,000 a year teleworking. Very, very difficult work uh, for federal law enforcement to be teleworking. You know, <laughs> it turns out that's not where the work really is. Um, I want to pull up the second thing. We're going to walk through this sort of narrative. In addition to saying that it was planned in the in the public and that it was wildly, uh, you know, violent and so on, they also started adding right away, if you remember, that uh, Brian Sicknick had died defending the Capitol. This is something from ProPublica. So this is a story dated on January the 8th in the afternoon. So literally, we're talking now 48 hours after the riot had sort of ended. They're already pushing the story that uh, the political climate got Brian Sicknick killed. We know that was not true. People have seen the Tucker Carlson thing. And uh, folks, if you're listening, Sony's got about a, a one or two second lag in her audio. So that's what our, we're, we're, we're dealing with. And that's on some sort of service provider end. But we're just going to keep kind of talking through this. I don't think it's going to disrupt you too much, just in case you hear a little pauses like that. Uh, Brian David Sicknick, 42, supposedly died of injuries sustained while trying to protect the Capitol. This was being reported on, even though that was false. And it was false right away. 
Yeah, we, we, we couldn't believe it. I mean, Kyle, even if there's a death, you know as well as I do, we don't know what the cause of that death is, even in a regular circumstance, right? Even even when you're on the, a scene and you're, you're, you're called, that person has to be picked up by the coroner. They have to have some, you know, examinations done. So I couldn't believe that this information was being released. I truly didn't believe that because I was like, that's way too quick for them to be putting something like that out in official capacity. So I don't know if that was just to enrage uh, others against January the 6th or what had, had a cap happened that day. But we did not believe that that information was correct at the time because it was too fast but the way that, it was released. And that was always the question. The question was, is who's building this narrative? Why is it coming out in this way? And what is the goal, right? It's When, when you're in law enforcement, we always look for right. what is the reason behind the actions? There's actions and then there's motive. And you can never really know what somebody's intent is, but we're looking for an, uh, sort of a story arc that tells us maybe that's the most plausible series of events. And in this particular case, they didn't lock down the Capitol like it was a murder scene for Brian Sicknick's death because he didn't die there and he didn't die of those causes, supposedly. And the second thing is, is they didn't lock down Ashley Babbitt's murder scene in a way that would make sense for people who have actually investigated homicides, which takes many, many hours, particularly uh, a gunshot with a with a federal law enforcement officer involved. And so all that stuff was illogical. And we're. In, the, in sort of the heyday of it, that, that sort of fog of war, you don't always see that right away. But as we're looking back over, this is one of the most scrutinized days in American history, I would think. And so we're seeing all these things. And we're like, a lot of this stuff didn't add up even right at the moment. It didn't add up right then if we were if we were so aware as to be able to, to check it out at that time. Yeah, I thought it was was it, it it was never like a crime scene I ever worked in Daytona. You know, if you have someone that that's been shot and they've been killed, uh, the first thing you're going to do is rope that off. Right. You're going to collect evidence from. From the bullet casing, where did it hit? You're going to look at your diameters. How far away was the shooting? How many feet did that occur? You're going to take the weapon from the person. You're going to relieve that person of, of duty. You know, there's an administrative review. So it it definitely, in my in my eyes, that crime scene was not preserved as it should have been for a thorough investigation. Yeah. And let me throw credentials out there. Maybe just quick bullet points. People, if you want to hear all long form about Sonia Labosco, you can go back. We've done a really great uh, couple of interviews with her and she's been very gracious with her time. So we go into her whole life history and, and why and, and her motivations, but give me bullet points of law enforcement credentials, if you would, just kind of the the, the highlights and the, and the number of years. Yep. Daytona Beach started as a part-time officer in 1990, worked my way up to the rank of sergeant within like four years. And I was a midnight shift sergeant um, for the rest of my time there. So I did 12 years on the street. I was never in the detective bureau. I was out there pushing a sled every day. Um, that was just my jam. I liked being in the community. I liked working with the with the citizens and the public. I liked building great relationships. And then, of course, 9-11 happened. I was coming home from a midnight shift uh, the morning of 9-11 uh, before I went to try to catch some shut eye, made some breakfast, turned the TV on. And then, of course, I saw uh, the devastating news uh, like everyone else that morning of, um, you know, the planes hitting the Twin Towers and then the Pentagon, and then unfortunately what happened on United 93. And at that moment, you know, I was rallying a team together. I called the chief and said, hey, we're going to put a team together. We're going to go to New York. We're going to try to help out. So I immediately was in the fight to prevent that from ever happening again. So I even changed my career. I left a good career at Daytona to join the Federal Air Marshal Service because it was so impactful to me that we had been attacked on, in our backyard and that had happened so quickly. I mean, this just took minutes for 19 people to kill 2,977 innocent people on the ground. So uh, I was in it to win it at that point to make sure that never happened again. And you retired from the Air Marshal Service after how many years? I did 12 years, 2014, retired with the Federal Air Marshal Service. 
uh, stayed, I lingered afterwards because I, I love the men and the women. You know, their, their mission was important. Even though I retired, my oath did not stop. Even though, you know, I had my paperwork, I had my badge, I had my accolades, everything that you needed to go drink margaritas on the beach, so to speak. Uh, I knew that we weren't solid. Our agency was not solid. We just weren't. And the whole goal coming over to 9-11 was to make sure that that never happened again. But being within TSA, this is the worst agency they could have ever put in a law enforcement group into because it's an administrative agency. And it absolutely is about theater. It's about money and contracts and billions of dollars worth of equipment. It is not about the American people being safe. So that's why I'm still in the fight today. Because this this agency is is I look at it as a big grift, man. They're just grifting billions and billions of dollars every year, making people think, well, you take your shoes off, you're safe at the airport. And that's really not the case. <laughs> it's so silly. Not I, the case. What man. what is the percentage? Do you know off the top of your head the percentage of security audits that TSA actually fails? I always remember this when I'm standing in line that they, they basically ninety six percent. Ninety six. Ninety six. Wow. Ninety six percent nationwide. <laughs> That means that the people are able to smuggle like weapons or simulated explosives or whatever it is that they're supposed to catch through those machines and through all those those systems that are set up. The red teams. Yeah. So tell people what a red team is just so people understand. Yeah. Well, a red team is like an undercover team that will come through and they'll stay at the airport for a couple of weeks. This isn't just like a one day or a two day. Sometimes they'll stay at the airport for 10 days and they'll have different undercover teams come through. And what they do is they try to get items through the screening checkpoint. Yep. Right. They'll they'll conceal artfully conceal things in their bag. There'll be components of, you know, let's just say some type of component to an IED uh, gun part components. And they'll try to see if they can slip those through the screening checkpoint. And as you notice, you can try to Google red teams or our TSA. They've stopped producing those results. They used to make those transparent so people could read those reports. But if you check it out now, it's going to be very difficult to find a recent red team report because they actually don't want to publish those because they're really that bad. That's so crazy too. People, uh, if you're not familiar with the concept of a red team, make yourself educated on that. It's one of the best tools you have to do legitimate security audits. It's essentially the same thing as white hat hackers. It's can we break into the security area, whether it be physical, that's going to be your red team, or can it be done cyber, which is your white hat hackers? Can we expose any vulnerabilities so that we can correct them on our own before we let the bad guys do it? And they basically fail Round it up. They, they fail all the time, every time, basically. And I was in in Orlando when I was stationed in Orlando as the assistant federal security director. I did many hats as a supervisor, not only ran domestic and international teams of air marshals. I was the number three person in charge of Orlando Airport. And at the time, we had 40 million passengers that transversed in and out uh, 2010, 2011. So I was actually very familiar with the red team. And I I welcome their work because I always wanted the ability to improve, mm -hmm. right? We don't know what's what's wrong unless we know what's broken. How do we fix something if we don't know? But I can tell you the red teams did not sit well with TSA at all because it, it poked holes in their security theater and that was something they did not want showcased. And that's the fundamental difference between administrative agencies and law enforcement agencies. When you're law enforcement, you're based on results, you're based on operations. Operations have to be troubleshot, they're never perfect. And so the idea is you work your way towards better you don't let uh, you don't let perfect be the enemy of good, but good enough is never the answer. So you're always working that way. Administrations, on the other hand, administrators, what they want to do is show I have all these bullet points. Look how great I am. Increase my pay, increase my budget, increase my size. Um, don't ask me any questions that I don't want to answer. It's pretty standard. 
I mean, and I think the big difference, though, Kyle, is for those of us that are in the field working every day, we're not sitting in a brass and glass building. We're not teleworking or working, you know, Monday, Tuesday, you know, federal Fridays. We're out in the airport. We see new newborn babies and their mothers going to visit family, right? We see the people that are walking on the aircraft. We're at the ground level, and it matters that those people move safely from point A to point B. So, you know, we're invested at the ground level for the American people and for our travelers. So it is definitely a battle internally to try to hold TSA accountable and to be accountable to the other American people and the people that are just traveling that we see daily. I mean, how do you not want a 90-year-old grandmother to make it to her birthday party, right? How do you not want to make sure that her aircraft is safe and there's no weapons on that aircraft and that all the luggage that's on that aircraft is supposed to be the luggage that's on that aircraft and somebody's not smuggling things that they're supposed to not be smuggling through the airport. So, you know, we're invested toward the American people and I think TSA is invested toward making more money and and giving contracts to lucrative companies, people they worked with in the past and they're bringing in billions of dollars, but we're no safer than we were when 9-11 occurred. And, and that is how I feel, That's that to me, uh, I don't feel that we're any safer than that day that that tragic event occurred. This is uh, this is one of the reasons why, folks, why Sonia like meshes so perfectly with my group of guys, the Suspendables, and even uh, Tara Rodas and 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 Aaron Stevenson and and the others that we've sort of added to this FBI whistleblower group that has really gotten government wide. It's because there's a passion for doing the right thing in the right way, which they just covered on the American Radicals podcast on Saturday, which I recommend you guys check out. They did a great job on that one. But it's it's she's one of the crew. And and when we hung out, it's like hanging out with one of our brothers or sisters that totally understands it's mission first. It's about humility. It's about irreverence. It's about fun. It's about getting it done in the fun ways. And um, I don't want to tease you guys any further. We're going to start showing this stuff. First of all, this letter that we're about to reveal um, and, and the Air Marshal's Council, your, your friends over there, put it out on Sunday with kind of like low fanfare. We're going to try to blow this thing up. I need people to be able to see this and know how crazy this narrative was. Um, it makes reference to a program sort of peripherally called the Quiet Skies program. I got a couple of graphics to show. Will you talk about Quiet Skies when you know that it was implemented? And we'll show a couple of things up there. I know Boston Globe covered it in 2018 and made it public. Maybe you could tell like the history of Quiet Skies. Right. So Quiet Skies is a little uh, is a little program. They played around with it. This is the thing about the government. They they will use a program and they'll change the name, but they'll just use the same structure of a failed program. So they may they may make it like now it may be uh, from Quiet Skies. They'll change the name and say, well, we've got special mission coverage. So they'll move a Quiet Skies program into a special mission coverage just because the, the program's been looked at by DHSOIG and the Government Accountability Office, the GAO. So those are two watchdogs. GAO is used by Congress. DHSOIG is also used by Congress to go in and dig deep into a program. There was a recent report that came out in, I think it was May of 2020 from DHSOIG, that talked about the absolute failure of the Quiet Skies program, that they had spent over almost a half a billion dollars on this Quiet Skies program, and yet that program had netted not one single person related to terrorism not one that's really and that, that's uh, open not source. Impressive. all these things all these things are open everything's open source kyle yeah. these are things you can go and look at dhsoig type in the quiet skies program read the report for yourself it's very long but it also said hey tsa had mismanaged the program they had not tracked the program appropriately they had not managed how that they were classifying you know travelers in this program so 
at the end of the day, it's a complete failure. The program is an absolute failure. Yeah, of course. Uh, it's government. So that's sort of what has to be. Uh, folks, if you're just joining us, we're talking to Sonia Labosco. She's a retired supervisory federal air marshal. She's a former local police officer with 12 years of experience there, 20, almost 25 years of total law enforcement. And we're talking about what's going on with the Federal Air Marshal Service. We're about to share with you guys something that they were able to get in FOIA. If you guys will give us the like, if you're watching on Rumble, we really appreciate that. And uh, moreover, I want to get dig deeper I want to dig deeper into this Quiet Skies idea. And if you're sitting there in our chat right now and you've ever accidentally taken a pocket knife or a weapon system or ammunition or something that has made it through TSA, will you throw that in the comments? Because I know a lot of you have had that same experience on um, on September 12th. I want to say it was 2005 or six. I accidentally flew to New York with a carry on briefcase that had a six inch boot dagger in it and it was sitting down at the bottom. And it was uh, kind of lined up with the base of the briefcase that I carried. I was wearing a suit and I was going to work in New York City from San Francisco. And so I was going out and doing business travel. And I got there in the hotel and I opened it up and I went like, holy crap, I have this huge knife, which is this double-sided, you know, stabbing dagger, which is far more effective than any sort of um, any sort of razor blade or box cutter could ever be. I mean, it's, it's a legitimate fighting weapon. And I just I know many people have had that same experience. So many of you guys know what I'm talking about. Let me cover Quiet Skies from uh, TSA, and I'm going to have you re respond to it, Sonia. This is what TSA had to do. In 2018, the Boston Globe put out that article you saw, Welcome to the Quiet Skies. They did a whole series about what it was. Some TSA sort of um, expose and some federal air marshals brought it forward and said this is a problem. Then TSA had to get in front of it, which took them years. Um, looks like their, their blog uh, – no, sorry, it didn't take them years. It took them months. Uh, in August of 2018, they said, oh, you've likely heard about Quiet Skies, mostly because it was leaked. So let's talk about it. And they said this, the Quiet Skies is through a secure flight program leveraging custom border protection automated targeting system and TSA's intelligence professionals to develop a set of risk-based intelligence-driven scenario rules, which allow us to identify international passengers, that's critical, that may require enhanced screening. These rules have strict oversight by DHS, including the privacy, civil rights, and liberties, plus the general counsel offices. So obviously they are protecting Americans and they're not infringing on any rights. Do you want to talk about that with your thoughts on it? Um, well, it sounds great, right? It's very well written. It's, it's a government document. It's very well written. And let's talk about when they talk about their general counsel, their oversight for their legal department regarding this program. I think I've mentioned this before. The general counsel, her name is Francine Kerner. She is a Whitewater Clinton supporter leftover. She actually leaked information from the Whitewater investigation to those outside of Whitewater. So she should not even be in a government uh, position as far as I'm concerned, especially one of trust, to make sure that people's civil liberties aren't being violated. But Ms. Kerner is absolutely fine with Quiet Skies. She actually likes the targeting, I do think, of the people that we're targeting right now. Because let's face it, they're a political opponent of the Clintons. And there's no doubt that what's happening within TSA is A-OK -okay because of the political climate that's going on now in our country. But it sounds great, Kyle. I it mean, sounds the way good. It, it sounds like it sounds super smooth. Like I mean, hey, they're going to protect you no, no, no matter what. And they're looking out for they have all these, you know, super high speed ways to, to justify and clarify these bad people. Yeah, there's right? analysts that folks. are involved. They're only going to go after international travelers. That doesn't even sound like Americans, does it? Except we know for the fact that it's not. Let's go to this letter. I've been teasing it to you guys. We're going to play uh, show it right now. Uh, this is going to be topic number 11, Ryan, that we have set up. If you want to pull this thing up. 
And then, ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to show you a couple of uh, clips. So, first of all, this is the document which is being shared right now on the Federal Air Marshal or the tell me the name of that organization. Every time I get it, it's Air Marshal's National Council's Twitter page. Correct. Okay. Yeah. So you can find it there. This is to the Honorable David. How do you say his last name? Pisaki. Pekoski. 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 He's his his name is his title is administrator, which sounds like it's not that fancy, but he's the top guy at TSA, which is a kind of diminutive term for him. It's pretty good. And this is a letter that is written by two people, the ranking member of the Committee on Homeland Security in the U.S. House and by Bernie Thompson, who is the chairman. Now, the ranking member is obviously the the minority party. That's the Republican. It's a guy that has now left. His name was John Katko. And Bernie Thompson is, in fact, the guy that you saw run the January 6th Unselect Committee. We're going to dig into a couple of pieces of this. Number one, I'm going to just pull it up on my screen because it's way easier for me to see it here. And let's talk this through. Do you want to set up how you guys got this letter and we'll read it then? Yeah, we... Uh, back when this first happened, back when we found out, our whistleblower came forward in January 2021, uh, shortly after getting the list and giving the list to the FBI. We got involved because we we started filing internal complaints. We went to Administrator Prokoski. We said, hey, you may not be aware of this, but we want to let you know this list has been created. This is going to be a huge debacle. And we asked him then to do a thorough investigation because we felt he could stop this, right? We felt for sure. Now, we didn't have this letter from uh, Representative Thompson at the time. Mm-hmm. We just tried to handle things internally saying, hey, sir, we want to make you aware that this is occurring, right? Because we're trying to resolve issues at the lowest level possible. That's what we're trying to do to say, hey, this is wrong. He did not respond. Shortly thereafter, we filed congressional uh, inquiries. We wanted to know, hey, Congress, what is going on? We still didn't have this letter. We didn't get this letter until uh long, long time later when Judicial Watch came forward and they helped us file a FOIA because we were trying to dig into some other information about abuses of air marshals uh, by a few of congressional folks to include Maxine Waters. Mm. Maxine Waters had actually requested air marshals be on her aircraft when she flew out to um, Derek Chavon's uh, trial, and we thought that was inappropriate for her to request air marshals to be on her flight. So we filed a FOIA in a complete separate case, and then we get this letter in the FOIA from Judicial Watch. And of course, that started making sense to us as how quickly the air marshals were assigned to the January 6th folks. And we do believe it was sparked because of this letter to uh, from Benny Thompson over to Pekoski. So then, of course, Pekoski got his marching orders from, from this letter, right? And that's where the air marshals got just involved and ingrained in following everyone that was listed you know, that Benny Thompson wanted listed in this letter. And we were we were quite surprised about the way the white supremacists and the insurrectionists were highlighted in this letter, which mean which meant to Pekoski, you've got your marching orders. We want you to go out there. Now we want you to track these people and nobody's going to have oversight over you and doing it. There it is. So rather than you take our word for it, we're going to read it. And of course, this is going to be posted and uh, you'll see an uh, a coming analysis article on Uncovered DC later on today. But let me just read it to you. Uh, Ryan, you've got it on the screen, so I appreciate that. Many of you are going to see that it's too small on your phone screens if that's where you watch. So here we go. Let's just read it. Dear Administrator Pekoski, last Wednesday, this is dated January 11th, 2021. That's five days, if my math is correct, five days after January 6th. Okay. Dear Administrator Pekoski, last Wednesday, insurrectionists attacked the United States Capitol. 
intent on preventing the certification of a democratic election and apparently inflicting violence upon elected officials. So he's honed in now that there's a tent, which is one of the hardest things in the world to prove, it turns out. But more importantly, he's uh, he's already called them insurrectionists, which I think is very interesting since that charge has not been levied. Federal law enforcement and intelligence agencies were completely unprepared for this domestic terror attack. Despite the importance of the proceedings occurring in the Capitol, the presence of the first three officials in the presidential line of succession and substantial evidence, the attack was largely planned in open Internet forums. Several lives were lost, including at least one Capitol Police officer, and many more were injured or placed in grave risk. Now, Ryan, I'm going to have you pull up topic number one. That's the one that's from ProPublica the same day or later that night after January 6th. It was planned in the open for weeks. You can hear that he's citing this information. He's basically taking it directly from leftist media. And then the second thing was is topic number two, which shows us, of course, the, the false narrative that Brian Sicknick died defending the Capitol. These are both false statements, but they are both parroted in the first paragraph written here by Benny Thompson and signed off on by the Republicans. Okay. In the aftermath of the attack, its perpetrators have continued to enjoy freedom of movement throughout the country. Only a fraction of the insurrectionists have been in, uh, have been arrested, and many of those who've been arrested have been released pending a future court date. Now, many of us know that was only five days later. Of course, the D.C. Gulag scenario had not been set up at that point, so this goes on and on. To our knowledge, again, quoting the letter, the federal government has not prevented a single insurrectionist from boarding an aircraft. And here's where we're going to get into it. And this is why Sonia is on here today because this is so relevant to their mission set, or it is now. Several have been harassed. Uh, several have harassed and threatened harm to members of Congress, flight crews, and the public while traveling. Okay, so the government has not prevented a single insurrectionist from boarding an aircraft. Sonia, do you have any thoughts on what sort of mission would allow you to do that in someone that has not been tried or convicted? I, I do not. I mean, I. I didn't even know that Representative Thompson had a criminal investigator background. <laughs> I didn't even know that he would have the ability to assess this situation from afar, right? And then decide unilaterally that any and everybody was an insurrectionist or a white supremacist, okay? I, I don't even know what his credentials are to, to make that type of assessment. So I was shocked when I, when I read this letter, but it made perfect sense as him calling Pekoski onto the scene to say, handle this any way you see, shape or form, you handle it because it's going to be fine with with Congress. We're going to be fine with with whatever you try to do to keep these insurrectionists off the plane. But I've never seen this uh, in my entire 24 year career. The so, way that this letter's written. So here we go. We're going to try to work through this. I, I had a, an order of operations in mind. We might jump around just a little bit from what I had originally thought. Ryan, if you pull up topic number seven for me, it's going to be the oath of office for members of Congress. And I've highlighted the part. It says, I, fill in the name, do solemnly swear or affirm that I will support and defend the Constitution of the United States against all enemies, foreign and domestic, and that I will bear true faith and allegiance to the same. And I take this obligation freely without any mental reservation or purpose of evasion, and that I will well and faithfully discharge the duties of the office on which I am about to enter. So help me God. And that is the oath of office. It's very similar for all federal employees. It's very similar that we we all say that we are going to be taking the obligation freely, that we have true faith and allegiance to the same, which is the Constitution, that we will support and defend the Constitution, and that we will well and faithfully discharge the duties of office. Those are sort of the three things. You're going to defend it, that you bear true faith and allegiance, and that you will faithfully and well discharge the duties. That's the, the key to the oath of office that I know you swore, Sonia, that I have both in military and civilian law enforcement. So... 
What does that constitution say? If you bring up topic number five, we're going to walk through a little primer here. Sometimes we like to teach our, our guests just a little bit, and I'll take your reflection on there in just one second. Let's look at what it says in the constitution. This is article four, section two, clause one, part one. The citizens of each state shall be entitled to all the privileges and immunities of citizens in the several states. Now, this is known as the Privileges and Immunities Clause, and it has been used to justify free movement around the country in the United States, in the Supreme Court, and in some of the others that have been done. Uh, the appeals courts have handled this, and it goes back way, way, way back into the past. Uh, just after the Civil War, and even before the Civil War, some of these were in the lower courts. But in 1970 or 70 or 1870 or 71, it was Ward versus Maryland that established that the federal government does not have the ability to impede free movement across state borders. Now that's kind of what we're talking about right here with Benny Thompson. Have you 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 have the sense that we have free movement in this country, don't you? No, we had free movement. We don't have it today. That's we a, had free movement. That's we exactly right. Today. So and. And these were removed in a way that does not seem to support that constitutional oath. Ryan, if you're going to pull up, let's do another one here. This is uh, number six. This is the Fifth Amendment. Now, many people will think of the Fifth Amendment in terms of the Dave Chappelle skit. They say, I plead the fifth. We've heard this all over the place because we watch court dramas and we know that you can you can guarantee that you don't have to self-incriminate. But the Fifth Amendment is one of the most important amendments in the Bill of Rights. And I'm going to read a subsection that should be relevant to this alone. And I'll get your response. No person shall shall be. And then we're going to skip down all the clauses down here. Deprived of life, liberty, or property without due process of law. Do you have any instinct what the due process was that Benny Thompson was referencing to these so-called insurrectionists and alleged domestic terrorists to remove their ability to move around the country? There was zero due process. Zero. It was one letter. You read the, It was one letter written to the head of an agency that Benny Thompson helps control pay raises and budgets. And that's it. That's all there was is just an allegation that's that he felt. That was, that, yeah. That's uh, correct. Ryan, if you'll pull up one of the other screenshots here, we're going to read directly the part that I think is the most damning here. This is the end of the first page. And this, I think, is what caught so much attention. And I think it probably caught Sonia's. The people that read this that are in the federal air marshals are seething mad about this. It says there's growing online chatter that members of the same groups that planned and carried out the attack um, in Washington, D.C. intend to return. And that they would like to cause further disruption and violence in the coming days, including the inauguration. President-elect Joe Biden, he was going to be installed, so they couldn't have that happen. Despite this imminent threat, it appears little is being done to disrupt the travel of terrorists who just attacked the seat of the U.S. government and wish to do so again. No evidence required that there was this disruption, and there was no evidence that there's any ability of TSA to involve themselves in this thing. Now, Ryan, we have a picture. This is personally weird to me. Because I have a picture, I think I sent over to you, of my my credentials. I actually had, there they are right there. So folks, if this is them right here, these are them, I'm still carrying them. These are the credentials for the inauguration of Joe Biden that I was authorized under my law enforcement authorities because I was assigned to Washington field office for the FBI at that time. And what you'll see was, is they always have these credentials issued out. But during that time, I can personally attest that they set up anti-scale fencing and they locked down that city in a way that would have made the uh, Eastern Germans on the other side of Berlin very, very jealous because it was a full-on police state. The, the streets were lined. There was National Guards. There were checkpoints everywhere. And nobody was allowed to move. And that obviously, this stuff actually helped them move that forward. Sonia, here's the part that I think got people the most wild. And if you'll show this uh, the next little uh, screenshot there, Ryan, let's get this one read. Therefore, 
please provide a briefing. And I'll have you just tell me whether you think a briefing was all he was asking for. Not later than the end of this week on the following topics. Topic one, current efforts to disrupt the travel of white supremacists and other domestic terrorist groups who may be planning further attacks against the U.S. government and may be targeting the inauguration of President-elect Joe Biden. And number two, the second one I think is also really damning. Number two, options available for quickly denying air carrier service to individuals identified as posing a potential threat, including TSA's authorities, to prevent individuals from flying on a temporary or flight-by-flight basis. Thoughts? Well... What they did, Kyle, is they took the manifest that the FBI had requested and then they ingested that into the National Security Database for TSA. And then they just worked off that database and they deemed folks, whether they were uh, guilty, not under investigation, they just deemed them as suspected domestic terrorists, which we call those a 102 in our world in uh, TSA. And that's how they got the ability to feed the beast they, they followed these uh, folks around. They're, we're still following them today. Um, and then that's how they've pumped the numbers up to feed that beast. Because when you get a letter like that, obviously, we can see the results of that is saying, hey, I want you to do this. And Pekoski did it. And so the results today are trying to, this is not because these individuals are a threat. I mean, we're three years into this. If these individuals were a threat, why are we even allow them on the aircraft? We're doing this to pump up the numbers and pump up the metrics. But the but the worst side of this is the individual rights of travelers that have been taken away because of one person's request. And he pulls the leash, so to speak. And then Pekoski jumps because he tells him to jump. Then he jumps. And so, then that's when the American citizens' rights are violated. So your conjecture is, and I don't think this is misfounded, but you're you're essentially saying that you believe because Bernie Thompson was the one who controlled the purse strings for DHS and for TSA specifically, that him asking this in a question, provide a briefing on the capabilities, was not saying, just tell us what you can do. It was, you better have something going on right now to do this thing. And by the way, your funding's on the line. Does that sound right? To me, that's what it was. And we started immediately. I mean, the air marshals started following immediately anyone that was on that manifest, right, that we took we took the manifest and ingested it. When we the council had said, hey, Administrator Pekoski, really, we need to look at this. But what we didn't know behind the scenes is that he was already following um, an indirect order from, you know, the Capitol uh, from Congress to go and do this. So no matter what we had said or done internally in the field, Kyle, this letter would have trumped anything that we said was was wrong. It would have, you know, we were spinning our wheels, so to speak, trying to deal with Bukowski to get him to do the right thing because he had already gotten his marching orders. And and, um, and those marching orders, letter, we. Yeah. So this this involved moving people onto what we've called. I, I saw you on Fox the other day. It was fantastic. You just made the uh, the host. Uh, what's her name? Carly. Carly. You made Circus. her jaw drop. <laughs> and I know people have seen this on nice Twitter. Nice lady. I really, I really liked her. But, you know, that wasn't planned. She asked me some questions that I could not just individually answer. I had to I had to tell the story in regards to what was happening from not only it's not just the January Sixers. Let's face it. These are people that weren't even at the Capitol. Some of them weren't even at the rally. But that point had to be made in her question. But I didn't do that on purpose. You know, that was just a conversation that she had asked me. And it happened to be on air um, that that came out that way. How um, 
I know we've covered this previously, but for new members of our audience, will you kind of explain, you dropped very casually that there's a quad S and I'm going to have Ryan show some footage of it because we have it on topic number eight, Ryan, the DC uh, uncovered DC story that Wendy just did. But let's talk about the quad S and what that means and, you know, tie it back to what we were talking about earlier as far as the programs go. Yeah, this this is absolutely horrendous. I mean, there's a there's an eight week old baby that's on the terror watch list now that has quad S's on the boarding passes, as you'll see. Um, Maybe hard for the viewers to see this, but can we zoom in on that? Ryan? That also says it says infant. You'll see you'll see infant on the boarding pass and then you'll see the quad S's, which means that 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 innocent baby is now put in this database list to be uh, selected. You know, that's a selectee for um, extra security, for extra people following the baby on missions. They will have air marshals on their flights. They're going to have TSA screeners watching them at the gate, walking to the gate, reverse screening them at the gate. Yep. And I mean, we knew, like, we knew that we were following six-year-olds and nine-year-olds. We already knew that the air marshals did, but this was an all-time low to be following an, in- an infant. Um, and this just, just shows the madness that's going on within TSA because now this baby will be a metric. This will be a metric saying we followed a family of domestic terrorists. It won't list an eight-week-old baby, you know, to Congress. It'll just say, hey, we're following the family of domestic terrorists. That's how they'll list it. But as you and I can see, that's an eight-week-old child that wasn't even born or conceived uh, and at, by January 6, 2021, the baby's eight weeks old and had nothing to do with it. And that's the most radical part is that the baby wasn't even born or even conceived at the time of this particular uh, situation. And then we just found out over the weekend, which was in our little suspendables chat, that uh, James O'Keefe has been added to there to this quad S list. Now, for, for folks, if you're listening and you're not looking at the visual of the boarding pass, there literally are four S's in bold type that are printed out on the boarding pass and it eliminates your ability to check in online. So if you find out, hey, you know, there's a there's an error with your boarding pass, you're not able to check in online. What it'll have is you have to actually go to the, you have to go to either JetBlue in this case, or you have to go to Delta or United or American and physically go to the gate you're, or actually to the, uh, to the, to the desk before you get behind the security areas and get yourself checked in. And then you basically are going to have a horrific experience all the way through. And if you've never heard the J6ers explain what it feels like, all the pat downs and all the uh, sort of searches of their gear and every single item is swabbed and every single zipper is touched and all this kind of thing. uh, This is what we're talking about. Quad S's literally are four S's on the boarding pass. And like I said, many of you may have just seen James O'Keefe do it. What do you think about the JOK getting added on there? Well, I have to tell you, we do have evidence and I haven't, you know, we haven't released that yet. We're still working through some some things on the evidence that we do have that there is a issue. If you go on a conservative talk show, um, more likely than not, or you're a talk, conservative talk show host, you're going to be on that list. So I think Mr. O'Keefe and maybe his work, his, his past work has landed him um, on this list. Unfortunately, he's going to go through everything um, that the J6ers went through when they're going through the airport, which is you can't check in online. When you go to the ticket counter, the the, the person checking you in is going to see this flag on your profile. They're going to change their attitude towards you real quickly. They're going to look uh, frightened. They're going to start making phone calls to their supervisor. You cannot check your bag in at the counter. TSA is going to come and get your bag. They're going to take your bag. You're going to have people follow you through the screening checkpoint at the checkpoint, alarms are going to go off, and they're going to make sure that every other passenger is watching to make sure that you're standing out like a sore thumb, so to speak, like you are you are truly a threat. 
They're going to put you through all types of enhanced screening. You're going to get delayed for your flight. A lot of times you don't even make your flight with quad S's. And, and that's one of the goals is to inconvenience you to the point that you don't make your flight. Then you're going to transverse over to the gate. You're going to sit at the gate area. You're probably going to see dogs come around you. You're going to see other, you know, uniformed agents. They're going to pull you out of the line on the boarding gate. When you're at the gate, you'll be the only one. They're going to pull you and your family or whoever you're traveling with, and they're going to make another spectacle out of you. So everybody on the plane can feel like, oh, my gosh, who is this person and why are they on my aircraft? So they do that intentionally, and I, I view this as a punishment uh, without a proper vetting or any reason that Mr. O'Keefe would be on this list or a baby. Um, this is just security theater, but it's done in the essence now violating your rights as an American citizen. And as we said, the Fifth Amendment should, in theory, keep the federal government from um, infringing or depriving anyone of life, liberty or property. And that property can actually be your flight because you've paid for that flight. You actually have a right to that service once you paid for it. That is your property, I would assume, uh, legally speaking. There's a service that is supposed to be rendered and you have a property right to that service. And they're doing it because sounds like this guy was pushing a narrative. And and we're following the narrative still to this day. That hasn't changed. That narrative is still rings true today. Um, I talked to you a little bit earlier in regards to, you know, the TSA, the screeners getting a large pay raise recently. We're going to um, put it up. You can only wonder, are all these, <laughs> yeah, all these things about the purse strings. You know, you have to follow the trail of how this started. And with the letter, I think the letter really should be a, a point of fact that that Americans should look at that and go, how did someone deem this so quickly? And then and then without any vetting or any resources, you know, the air marshals, I want to point this out. We're the only federal law enforcement group that does not have a dedicated intelligence division. Everything that we get through intelligence comes from the TSA uh, intelligence branch. So we don't have any federal air marshal. We don't have a law enforcement uh, intelligence division. So you've got an administrative agency running administrative order from a congressional person that's violating the rights that any law enforcement officer would not be doing. But I want to just tee that up to show that TSA is this administrative mass surveillance agency that thinks they're not accountable to the Bill of Rights. They think that they're not held accountable to the same rights, you know, that they're not held accountable to do the right thing because they're an administrative agency. And at some point, this has to have oversight. This has to change. They should be held accountable and they should not be able to label a person, a suspected domestic terrorist without one shred of evidence, period. We're talking to Sonia Labosco, who's a retired federal air marshal. She was a supervisor with the FAMS uh, for 12 years. She worked there. She also worked in a local police. She's got a wealth of experience in law enforcement, both state and federal. And uh, if you're just joining me and you don't know who I am, my name is Kyle Serafin. I'm a former FBI agent. And one of the things that I was a specialist in was surveillance. And I want to talk about surveillance right now. If you're just joining and you haven't hit the like button on Rumble, please do. Looks like we just made it to number one on the uh, the podcasts that are live right now. So we really appreciate all of you guys joining us. And that's kind of fun for us to kind of climb up on this little leaderboard as we do it in this time slot. Let me tell you something about surveillance. And Sonia, you back me up on this if it makes sense to you. When you're doing surveillance, in order to properly observe, the goal of surveillance is one of two things. Number one, you could be babysitting, trying to keep somebody from doing something bad, and that can be overt, it turns out. But generally speaking, surveillance is an investigative tool that is meant to catch people doing the thing that they might do in order to build a case for prosecution. 
And there's nothing that says overt and silly surveillance to me more than putting a, a marker that is now publicly known four S's on the boarding pass and then touching people 50 times in a very surveillance way and then putting surveillance officers who are now going to have to watch them on a plane and nobody's going to do anything other than they're probably going to be hinked up because they've been watched. Uh, most of the surveillance that I've done has been what's called covert or low visibility surveillance where you want to watch people in their natural element. You follow them quietly and discreetly. You see where they go. You see who they talk to. You report back and that builds a case. This isn't even building a case. It doesn't sound like it's just punishment. It, you're you're absolutely correct, Kyle. I mean, and in true cases prior to the air marshals being, you know, engulfed in TSA prior to this, when I would deploy on true missions where we were watching uh, known suspected terrorists, real KSTs, I mean, we would have a secure briefing. You would have a briefing packet. Uh, everybody on your team would be very well, um, let's say, educated on every su subject that we were going to be on the flight with, who their connections were who they would be traveling with, what we should be looking for. And we were so covert. Nobody knew who we were. They they had no idea on their boarding pass that they were being watched because you didn't want to spook them, right? You didn't want them to know that you were around. And this has changed tremendously with TSA, once again, being there from the very beginning in 2002 and then being part of the council now, you know, all these years later, we have seen this big push away from true known suspected terrorist over here now to the suspected domestic terrorists that TSA is labeling. When we get these missions assigned as air marshals now for these uh, suspected domestic terrorists, th it's absolutely ridiculous. This is, this is pushed out through a cell phone. It's a name and a photograph, usually like a driver's license photograph. And just what the person did, there's no briefing. There's, hey, they're going to be sitting in this seat. They're going to be traveling with this person. So we know that there's no real value being put behind the investigative side of this to either find out if this person's a true threat and take them off the list. But it appears to us and the air marshals that are flying these missions, this is just another way to feed the beast and get more money and pump the metrics up. And it's absolutely, number one, it's not valid for security because we really should be looking for those that are trying to hijack an aircraft or do something bad. We're not looking for those those individuals anymore. And it's really sad that the only thing we're focusing on is the political agenda um, that's violating the rights of American travelers. And air marshals were not, we weren't created to do this, Kyle. This, you know, our job, we were created after 9-11, stood up, the agency hired thousands because 19 hijackers took four planes in a matter of minutes. That's our job. We're supposed to be looking for individuals that are trying to do harm with the weapon of mass destruction in the air. We're not supposed to be following eight-week-old children, six-year-old boys, nine-year-old kids. I mean, look what we've been reduced to. Where's the line, man? That's what I ask. Where's the line? Where does the line stop? It's terrible. And even weirder, and I had several former federal air marshals on my surveillance team that became FBI agents. They were outstanding. And when you look at the difference between someone who is untrained and someone who used to do it exclusively to take back an aircraft, even under training scenarios, watching my buddies like Josh and Assad go out there and do that mission set and take an aircraft, two men, 
go back and and knock everything into place and put themselves where they need to be and recover a dominant ground, you know, where the cockpit is and so on. It's really it's really amazing to watch. Having gone through some basic training of it, you realize the level of you're good enough to step on the field and you probably will be um, thwarting a terrorist attack to someone who is a professional and that's what they do for a living. And you see it and you go, well, that's light. That's night and day. It's just a, a massive difference in capability and training, number of reps and so on, because that's what they do. We used to always joke with those guys because once we got this little certificate from doing two days of training out at Dulles, um, my buddy would walk by and I go, you used to be a fam, right? And he would go, yeah, you know that about me. And I would say, yeah, I, I'm a fam too. Look, I have this certificate. And they would always get a hard, you know, we'd give them just a rough time for 16 <laughs> hours of training, which I know that you guys do hundreds of. And the thing that just occurred to me as you were just talking right there, there's no investigative purpose, right? If you'll throw back up that letter, uh, in fact, the the piece on there that, that starts with now growing chatter indicates, that paragraph, if you want to throw that little screenshot on there, what it says is, Little is being done to disrupt the travel of terrorists who just attacked the seat of government. Little is being done to disrupt the travel. I don't see anything in there that says little is being done to investigate, to gather evidence, to uh, uncover the networks. Mm -hmm. It's not about investigation. They just want to disrupt the travel. That's what he says. Little is being done to disrupt travel. That, to me, is a violation of the Fifth Amendment. And, and as we mentioned, the oath of office states that you must honor and bear true faith and allegiance, and you must faithfully discharge the duties that are in your, your parameters as a congressperson or as a member of the civil service. How does he get away with not being called out for, for violating his oath of office? It seems to me that, that it is, if you're going to go and tell someone to violate the Fifth Amendment using your congressional powers, then you're the problem. And that's where that whole weaponization of federal government and the process and the punishment comes in play. This is what we're seeing. And this started five days after January 6th. And it did. And, and if you think about what does the word disrupt mean, that's punitive, right? That's not, hey, let's get to the bottom of this and let's make sure dangerous people aren't getting on the aircraft. You know, air marshals, we're all in. We don't want dangerous people on the aircraft, right? Why would we allow someone who's dangerous to get on the aircraft in the first place? Right. Why, why are, if this is such a problem, three years later, why are we allowing dangerous people to get on the aircraft and we're spending all of our resources, all of our time, either on the border or following uh, January Sixers and other people that were in the national capital region. If if we're so concerned about them being dangerous, why are we doing, why are they allowing, why is TSA allowing this to occur since they have the ability to stop people from going into the sterile area and boarding the aircraft? Any any airport, anybody can be stopped from going in the sterile area. We can't stop you from getting on the aircraft, but we can stop you from getting to the area where you can board, right? TSA has that ability to do that. They could blacklist They're them not on that doing right it. up front. So, and, and here's the thing, and here's how we 100%, know that. 100%. You, you cannot go to the sterile area. Yeah, we have the ability to do that every every day, all day. They used to be able to do that. They knew that right away. They they kept people from coming into Washington, D.C. in areas that were near my old office. They actually did that during the presidential inauguration. So if you remember January of 2021, anybody who went to Washington, D.C. saw this. After January 6th, they locked down that entire city for several weeks. It looked insane. There were thousands of National Guard troops deployed. They were sleeping on um, parking garage floors and things like that. There was all this big scandal, right? They were sleeping on the floor of the rotunda, on the, on the marble floors inside the Capitol, and they denied access to areas. That's how you prevent a threat if you're really serious. That was all uh, theater, I believe, and show. It felt like theater when I was doing it. I was like, what are we even doing? Like, you know, somebody would come up. I had a guy draw a gun down on me when I was sitting in my thing because I was carrying my weapon and I had my badge and he comes up on me with his gun and I go, are you okay? And he goes, you have a badge. And I go, yeah. 
good powers of observation. You saw my gun on my belt, but you didn't see the badge that I'm wearing around my neck that says I'm allowed to be there. But it was all theater at the time. And it wasn't trying to be investigative. It was trying to be preventative. You don't let people into the area where you think they might do it. Do you mind if we we cover down a little bit? I want to talk about who these two people are that are involved. Uh, Pekoski, and then also we're going to cover down on uh, who this uh, Chairman Thompson was. Because I think their websites are actually pretty illustrative of, of who they are. And I think maybe if we cover that a little bit, it'll help Let's people understand. It. Okay. So Ryan, let me see which uh, one I saved it under. Uh, Benny Thompson's bio. We saved that under topic 15. If you want to bring that up, I'm going to read from it for you folks. And- who is this? This is the the chairman who wrote the letter that we've been talking about. Okay, he's an elected member of the United States House of Representatives. He's from Mississippi's second district. He's a Democrat. He entered on duty April 20th of 1993. That's when he claimed the House. Actually, he probably came in in 1994. He is a 15-turn congressperson. He knows how Washington, D.C. works. And what I found very interesting is, in addition to all those things, serving 15 terms, he spent his entire career fighting to improve the lives of people, blah, 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 blah. He's uh, uh, the longest serving black elected official in the state of Mississippi, the lone Democrat, and so on and so forth. Okay. And it's all about his black roots and his black activism and, and that he went to a black college and all this other kind of stuff. Like all this stuff is very prominent. It's very race-based. So of course he's talking about white supremacy. But for me, what was most interesting is... If you get about five paragraphs deep, it says, on July 1st of 2021, Speaker Nancy Pelosi named Representative Thompson chairman of the select committee to investigate the January 6th attack on the United States Capitol. And under his leadership, the bipartisan committee conducted a thorough investigation of the facts, circumstances, and causes of the January 6th attack and worked to ensure that nothing like that ever happened again. I would make an argument... That somebody who was writing five days after the fact with no investigation being done whatsoever and no findings and no positively adjudicated court cases and no convictions at all, calling people white supremacists, domestic terrorists and insurrectionists is not maybe the guy that you would have to lead a bipartisan and, um, let's say, fact finding mission set. Would you agree that that there's a little conflict there? I I would say that, you know, if you want to win a horse race, you got to rig the race, right? You got to know which horse is going to is going to be the one that's going to cross the line. So for me, finding this letter and, you know, we actually went to Congress. We actually we've actually gone to the Democratic side as well many times in regards to this issue. And no wonder it fell on deaf ears because the race was rigged, man. It was rigged from the beginning. Everything we were doing internally to try to say, hey, maybe you don't know this. This is wrong. But what we didn't realize is they coordinated it behind the scenes. That's the thing I think that's going to be most shocking. This whole thing was coordinated. So let's yeah. let's cover down on uh, Pekoski's background. Do you know much about his background? Do you, if you know, by, by all means, tell me. But I'm going to pull him yeah, up. Yeah, he here. was. He's he. Yeah, he's retired Coast Guard, and he's a Senate appointee. Right, he has to be appointed. This is his second term. I couldn't believe he got appointed a second time uh, to to serve with as the TSA administrator, but he did. He and I think. He went through his confirmation just uh, either this year. I think this year he got reappointed or maybe it was late last year. Mm -hmm. uh, he's reappointed for another five-year term. And what I've said here, yeah, you said he's former Coast Guard. So it says during his tenure as an administrator, blah, 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 blah. Okay, so he was the senior official performing the duties of the deputy secretary for a little while in 2019. Um, let's see. Before that, he was in the government services industry. 
and he led a team that provided counterterrorism, security, and intelligence support to federal agencies. So he was a federal contractor, and he served as the 26th vice commandant of the Coast Guard, culminating a Coast Guard career that included extensive operational and command experience. He was the vice commandant who made him the second in command and the chief operating officer and the component acquisition executive. It turns out that uh, acquiring components probably is really good for somebody in charge of TSA, which you mentioned is kind of like a big grift for uh, for federal contractors. Yeah. Yeah, well, you know, and we did some research and I can, I'll have to try to find some, we did, you know, there were some financial documents he had to provide for his Senate hearing for his confirmation. And we found it very strange when we started digging that he left over a $650,000, you know, position with a private company who got government contracts to come to TSA. And I think his salary at the time back, you know, when he started was like 172000 So it really didn't make a lot of sense to take a 500 plus thousand dollar pay cut and then come to TSA for, you know, the 65,000 uh, employee workforce that he was going to be working for. But what we didn't realize is that we do now, it's about contracts. It's about it's about money. It's about something much larger than what we knew at the time. And and as of today, with what we've gathered documents and put together, it's it's about the security theater and it's about buying puffer machines and, you know, CT, CT technology and 3D technology. And we really hope that some Someday we'll have the time to dig into the fact of how many contracts have been directed toward these special interest groups that are sitting on these committees with TSA as private entities and, and, and you know, stakeholders that are directing these actions that TSA are following um, that are not good for, you know, our Constitution. And uh, we, we hope that that's going to come out. We hope Pekoski's dirty laundry, so to speak, is going to come out. Because if you can look at the direction that he has taken TSA, just on this, let's look at this specific issue regarding January 6, 2021. Um, it is not credible that he's done these things in an honest, true person that should be running an organization that professes that they're going to guard your civil rights and liberties, that everyone matters as a traveler, that your safety matters. And you can look at the words, but then I just say, look at the person's actions and his actions do not reflect what his words state that he's going to do with his oath. Most people can't fathom taking a $500,000 pay cut. That's number one. And that just reminded me of the very interesting piece about Chris Ray, who was making $9.2 million the year before he agreed to be the FBI director, which is like a $235,000, $250,000 a year job. So how did he decide to take the decimal point from his uh, from his previous gig and forego about nine million dollars worth of paycheck, or this guy taking a five hundred thousand dollar pay cut, which is pretty significant as well, like almost the same percentages reduced. It's really wild, and you know that it has to be that there's a back end value to them because they're not just doing it out of their civics responsibility, because otherwise they would care about the Constitution and they wouldn't violate their oath the way that we're seeing them do. They wouldn't be depriving Americans of their civil liberties without any due process. I would think. Maybe maybe I'm crazy. I, I, I completely agree with you, Colin. There's there's another, you know, there's another head of the snake. When we talk about the swamp, you know, and the things that are going on in the swamp, here's another head of the snake. This is about bilking billions and billions of dollars out of taxpayers, you know. And what's so sad, the J6ers that are being followed, they're buying airline tickets. They're paying extra security fees. You know, they're paying for all these additional services that are being used against them. And they've not even been vetted or charged with the crime, right? And yeah, they're, and they're have, essentially look, it's funding. Been a, it's been a misdemeanor. They're funding right? their it's own been a misdemeanor persecution. Parading or I know, right? It, 
And and then here we are as taxpayers, we're paying these billions of dollars every year for these comp- for these programs like within TSA that are completely failures. Why are we paying for quiet skies? Why are we wasting a half a billion dollars a year for a program that's violating our rights? But we're doing it. It's it's it it's crazy, but I do think the linchpin with a lot of this are these agency officials like Chris Ray and Pekoski that can, can can direct these contracts. They can direct all these private entities and private equities over into the government arena through contracts. Now, that's my personal belief. I hope one day I'll be able to prove that. I do have some documents to kind of show, you know, something smells rotten here mm-hmm. in TSA. It's very, very rotten. It's very strange. Now, lest we leave the last name that was on this letter, the guy's name is John Katko. He is now currently a senior advisor to the East Hill Group LLC, which we talked about before you and I went live because I was really curious. A Republican also signed off on this letter. It's it's worth noting. We always talk about a uniparty or the fact that they're all in on it. This is John Katko, now senior advisor at at the Hill East Group, which is on Pennsylvania Avenue Southeast in Washington, D.C., and it is a lobbying and a consulting business. And we did a little pull up and I sent it over to Ryan. If you go to Open Secrets, Ryan, and we'll pull up just the amount of money that was sent over. They have to disclose their lobbying stuff and the lobbying dollars that were that were uh, sent over uh, for this particular firm. It's not a huge firm. It's a boutique little firm with 20 clients. One point four total million dollars in lobbying is disclosed. Their single biggest client in the lobbying firm at a quarter million dollars for this year is the Airports Council International. And they have a couple of other smaller airport kind of clients. They have um, the Syracuse Regional Air, uh, airport Authority, and they also have the Southern Airways Express for a grand total of about a third of a million dollars. It constitutes a pretty good chunk of their overall lobbying. Now, they don't have to, to disclose their, their consulting. The consulting is a different animal. But it's interesting that he went over to a lobbying firm. He left Congress in 2022, didn't get reelected as a Republican, and went over, and now he's he's got uh, Airport Council International. What do you make of that sort of uh, information? I, I, I think you follow the trail, right? I think the paper trail is going to lead us down a road where – even myself, it's hard to believe what we've uncovered in the last three years, Kyle, with the Air Marshal National Council. You know, this is not incompetence. None of these things that are happening, these are all, like I said, you got to rig the race, right? If you want to know what horse is going to win, you got to make sure which horse is going to win the race. And a lot of this stuff behind the scenes we are finding out, are it's completely rigged. The goal is to, to bilk the taxpayers with billions and billions of dollars to make them feel like they're safe. But then this money is going to go to these private companies and these private equities and these private stakeholders that are sitting on these councils, right? I mean, Pekoski even has a council for the TSA of private uh, stakeholders and private equities. It's a service a service transportation council where he's got railroads and, and stakeholders and, and airport industries that are on these councils directing what security should look like. So, um you know, I thought the government, we're supposed to be running independent. We're supposed to be above reproach. You're not supposed to to horse trade, so to speak, and give me something for my government service. I'm supposed to take an oath and just do the best that I can every day that I come to work to do my duty for the American people. But at the end of the day, this is not what's occurring. And now we can see that. I mean, look at the actions of TSA. Look which direction they're going. Look at all the things that have happened and here we are three years later, and they're still abhorrent to the issues because they don't care, because they're not going to be held accountable, and they're just going to get the money they want from the swamp. 
Amen to that. So rather than, uh, I know many people are going to only see certain things. We got a a headline culture where people are only going to hear the top line stuff. So what I want to do is I want to summarize what we've covered. First of all, ladies and gentlemen, we're talking to Sonia Labosco. She's a retired federal air marshal. She was a supervisor with the FAMS, a group that I've worked with that are very, very exclusive in what they do. Their skill set is unique. In federal law enforcement, they are designed to take back aircraft. That is what they do, but that's not what they're doing right now. They're watching people, many of whom are January Sixers. We're going to do a quick recap for you to be able to share. We'll probably release this as a single clip so people can walk away with it. And I know many of you will not read the story that goes out on Uncover DC. You've heard all the points. We've shown you 20 different slides. We've shown you the full letter. Sonia, will you please tell people in a short summation the, the A to, let's say, part E, because I think there's maybe four or five parts to this, what we see happening, what this letter means, and what the narrative should be as you walk out there, what it's debunking. And, and I'll let you just kind of run with it. Well, I think that the, the letter speaks for itself. Look at the date of the letter. It was written uh, shortly after January the 6th, 2021, to the TSA administrator, basically directing the TSA administrator to do something to follow the white supremacists and the insurrections, which... They had never been deemed that. That was his words, not anything in an investigation. And then look at what the Air Marshal National Council is. We tried to do behind the scenes, not knowing about this letter from from uh, Congressman Thompson. And then look at what, what's happening in the news media recently with all the, the quad S's coming forward, the people that the Air Marshals are watching. And just look at this with fresh eyes. I mean, you can do your own research in regards to this. We're just bringing it forward to tell you to put it into an arena that you can understand. We're just everyday people coming forward, and we see that our liberties are shrinking in this country. And this is just one example of many that you can look at and and investigate yourself in regards to how this game is being rigged behind the scenes and how you as a taxpayer are picking up the dollars. And it's just not right to disrupt people's travel because you think they're a white supremacist or they're with a political party. Fully weaponized government used in a way that is benefiting a uniparty narrative. Pretty disgusting stuff. Sonia, tell people where they can follow you if they want to interact with and where they can follow. We'll put up the uh, Air Marshals uh, National Council webpage in just a second. I send it over to you, Ryan. Go ahead and let people know to follow you. Yeah, thank you. You can follow me at, at it's my last name and first name, at Labosco Sonia. And then you can also follow the Federal Air Marshal at FAMS underscore AMNC. Um, and you'll put our website up there, which is airmarshalnc.com. Uh, we do have an info page or an email if you want to send an email if you're just out there and want some more information about what we're doing behind the scenes in the Air Marshal National Council. Uh, please drop us a line or an email. But we want the American people to know that we're back here fighting. I mean, we're fighting the government. This is the craziest thing in the world. I told Kyle this morning, it's so backwards. We're a, a small council. We're fighting the government to try to keep air marshals on the aircraft to thwart another 9-11. And so instead of us fighting for the resources that we need internally to help support our our working group, we're fighting for the American people to try to keep them safe during their travels. So we've had to pivot. Our whole direction has changed because now we feel it's more important to try to keep air marshals on the planes in the right way to keep the American people safe. So we just want you to know we haven't forgotten 9-11. We haven't forgotten the 9-11 families. We haven't forgotten the 2,977 people that were murdered on that day that changed our country forever. So we, we are back there fighting for them, Kyle, and we want the American people to know that we will not give up this fight. Really appreciate it. I really appreciate you. I know all the people in the live chat have been saying the same thing. You are on uh, True Social with the same exact handle, right? Labasco Sonia? That's correct. Yes. Outstanding. 
Uh, thanks for being a suspendable. Thanks for hanging out with me this morning. Thanks for breaking this stuff down. I think it's really valuable. And folks, if you're not following Sonia, you're missing out on some really important stuff. So we appreciate you doing, uh, still keeping the oath, even though it's much more fun to be anonymous in the world. That's not what we're called to do right now. I know you know that too. Yeah, God bless you, Kyle. The suspendables and Ryan and everybody, you know, that keeps this big boat moving of truth. And that's what we need to do is just keep rolling the truth out. Let, let the line of truth hunt. Because the truth, we don't have to make any drama up. The truth is bad enough, I can assure you. Absolutely. We'll talk to you again soon. I, I appreciate you pushing that forward. And folks, if you saw the hats that we're sporting right now, you're seeing that we've got Suspendables merch. The code is black. I had to ask what it was. It's good to the end of the day. It'll get you an extra discount. I think it's like 15%. Garrett O'Boyle gave us that in the chat. So if you're not part of uh, our live chat, that's what you missed out on. It was sneaking in there. B-L-A-C-K is that the-suspendables.com. There it is. We're going to do all of our sponsors right now, and we really are appreciative. We moved them to the end because I think this message is so critical. Let's talk about four Patriots dot com slash Kyle for the number four Patriots dot com slash Kyle K Y L E. You can check out all of the, uh, the deals that they put together for you. The cooking fire set. This is kind of fun. He's showing you the food and fire emergency bundle. That's a good set of a bunch of emergency foods. Plus all the things it would take to actually cook them. You can purify water with it boiling. You guys can get that. Plus there's a, a three month survival kit in there. So you got a little star campfire, pretty neat looking kit. Uh, I don't know anything. In I got this steel. one, Kyle. Did you get it? Uh, one of my subscribers sent it to me as a gift. Yeah, this is sweet. I actually like the fire starter. Yeah, I'm a big fan of anything that does fire. My wife and I are such simple people. She was like, you know what I love? Like collecting lighters and matches and things that are burn pits and everything. So there it is. Check it out. Very, very yep. cool. Check out 4patriots.com slash Kyle. It gets the Ryan Matta stamp of approval right there, which he's got in his house trying to make sure that he survives the cold winter there. He's going to need a hoodie. That's what you're going to need, man. Not this light duty Texas hoodie. You're going to need the heavy Sherpa one. Um, let's oh, also... Yeah. Let's say thanks to my friends over at uh, Patriot Coolers. You guys know they are doing a, a site-wide sale. It ends today, Cyber Monday. If you use no com promo code at all, just add it to your cart. You'll get 20% off. That's twice the normal discount. It's patriotcoolers.com. And then just put Kyle Serafin Show if you guys buy anything in the show notes. Actually, I, can't, I brought this out today because I, I, I had it in my... Um, I was just keeping it in my pantry. This is mine. This is the soft-sided backpack, which is a, a backpack cooler. That's what I want for Christmas. Dude, you know what I love best about this thing? The top is also an insulated pouch and you never know when you might need to keep like meds or like a candy bar also you don't need it to be frozen you just need it to be sort of thermally insulated it's got an insulated pouch on the top that's really easy access and then you got the deep pouch is in it here. waterproof um the inside is yeah for sure you can carry water in there the waterproof nice. scenes. so check those things out you go to patriot coolers with an s on the end patriotcoolers.com no promo code necessary for the next i don't know 18 hours or so and get yourself 20 percent off anything on there great christmas gifts and like i said throw in kyle seraphin show or tkss if you want to put it in the show in the little notes of your order so that people know i've got their tumblr sitting on my desk right now as well i've been using these guys all their stuff since like 2017 big fan of that company good people and they've been supporting us since we went live with a very small audience and we really appreciate them uh, and then let's say thanks to our friends over at Catholic Vote. A great loop came out today. I didn't even touch any of it because we had so much to just cover on this one particular topic. But go to catholicvote.org. You can click on the loop and you can read their email list. Or you could just get on the list and you'll just get it in your email right when they put it out the first thing in the morning. You've got Hamas hostages being returned. you got Biden uh, dismissing the death toll. you got a former cop stabbed. So they talked about the uh, the George Floyd or the George, uh, the George Floyd case. This is uh, Derek Chauvin, the cop that is now in um, the federal penitentiary down in Arizona. I think he's outside of Tucson. I've been to that prison. 
strangely enough. And uh, it's scary as hell, honestly. It's one of the scariest things. Uh, also, Mayor Adams being accused of sexual assault from 1993. Apparently, he's upset the uh, the powers that be in the Democrat Party. You can also give anytime you want. You click on the top right-hand side. You see a little green button there. You can give a small donation or a monthly donation, one time or reoccurring if you want to support Catholic Vote in the fight for faith, family, and freedom. You don't have to be a Catholic to support Catholic Vote. They support us, and it's not about Catholicism per se. It's about holding government accountable, coming after Christians, and uh, trying to disrupt our ability to exercise our First Amendment, which we're seeing so, so much going on there. Uh, anyone that we forgot, let's do Mike Lindell real quick too. There it is, my pillow. They got the Black Friday going as well. Use promo code Kyle. All the promo codes are going to get you the same thing. If you use my promo code, then we get credit for you shopping. If you're going to check out, they've got a great deal right now on their bed sheets. They got a right, uh, good deal on the towels, which are now knocked down 50% off. Pretty good looking stuff. I actually am in the market for new towels, so we're going to check that out. The pillows, I'll just be honest, I'm such a weird snob. The only pillows I like are from Marriott. From not any Marriott, not a Courtyard Marriott, but the actual Marriott brand, you can actually buy their pillows. They're like 90 bucks, and they're down, and they're the only pillows I sleep on. I'm a total scumbag like that. And any pillow that I sleep on that's not a Marriott pillow, I think is inferior. But if you guys like my pillow, some of you guys love them, and they've been trying to convince me, and I just told them, like, look, I'm 40, almost 42 years old. Like, once I make my mind up, I've made my mind up. I don't like zucchini. I don't like squash. And I sleep on Marriott pillows. Everything else, uh, everything else you guys check out at mypillow.com slash Kyle or use promo code Kyle to get the discounts over there. Thanks for sticking with us, y'all. We got a couple things. We had some rumble rants from uh, Eric Jason. He smashed the like. Do not comply. God wins. My man with the same message every morning. We appreciate it. If you guys have not hit the like on rumble, please do so. It moved us up in the leaderboard today. So that's really fun. And Justice Blonde saying a shout out to GOB, who's doing live customer service in our chat, giving you guys what you need to know about the stuff going on on the-dispendables.com, the O'Boyle family sweatshop. Outstanding stuff. Let's throw up a review. We do really appreciate it. We've cleared the 800 mark. I don't know if we'll get to 1,000. You guys are really going to have to step in for the next couple of days if you want to get to 1,000. But I'm I'm really grateful that we've cleared 750 for the year. It's pretty amazing stuff for a brand new podcast right now. This one is about Garrett O'Boyle, speaking of. It's from DB1Mom, DBA1Mom. Five stars, Garrett O'Boyle Actual, or GOB Actual, says one of the most emotional podcasts yet. Listening again to what happened to Kyle and Garrett. And personally, it feels, uh, hold on. And personally, from them, filled me with rage and sorrow. I don't know either of these patriots personally, but at this point, I would do anything for either at the drop of a hat. Yes, aging myself with that mom phrase. The suspendables never cease to be on the edge of the truth. For this and for all they've done, I'm eternally thankful and blessed. They're in my prayers daily. Z-Tib, we see you out there in the chat too. We really do appreciate it. Thanks for leaving us the review. Thank you guys all for listening. I hope this was informative. Go out there and share this story, which is going to be out there if you're following our social media at Kyle Serafin on any of the, the uh, True Social or on Twitter. And let's make this thing wide. I just got J Tracy Beans coming into my DMs over here, so I got to figure out what she's about. We're going to get this story out so that it's in print, but you guys know the story now. We'll clip it out and we'll share it, and let's make sure people understand that this was always a setup, and it was even a setup from the legislatures that were supposed to be the investigators. You knew it, but seeing it in print sometimes makes you a little bit angrier. We'll bring on some more J6ers to talk about their experience with the Quad S and the Quiet Skies. Anyway, God bless all of you. Thank you so much for staying with our show. Thanks for making us the uh, the number one in the podcast. And uh, we will see you again tomorrow with more Kyle Serafin Show live from Liberty Hill, Texas. Thanks for listening to the Kyle Serafin Show streamed live weekdays on rumble.com slash Kyle Serafin. Follow Kyle on Twitter, Truth Social, and Instagram at Kyle Serafin.